another episode of Read, Return, Repeat. I'm Sarah Dixon. And I'm Daniel Peewee-Wardy. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we're going to talk about category number five, which is a book told from a villain's point of view. So, uh, Sarah, I was thinking, uh, since today's episode's about villains, I want to do a couple of villain impressions. And we'll, we're just going to, I'm going to do these, and we'll just call it Guess the Villain. Mm, clever title. All right, all right, okay, here's my first one. And these are mostly literary villains, so I'll, I'll do this one. Um, how much have you lost in the coin toss? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't do villains. Okay, uh, that was Anton Sugar from Cormac McCarthy's uh, oh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. You're bringing me the money. <laughs> okay, all, all right, right, all right. All right, okay. This one, uh, okay, this was... Uh, <clears throat> I'll do a, like a harder illusion, but don't do it. Well, that's kind of like okay. you'll probably get it. Okay, so it's like, what's your, what's your a great big old person? Are you about a size fourteen? <laughs> it puts the lotion on the skin. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Buffalo Bill. Yeah, okay. I did not. Okay. That was not my best one. Okay, okay but that actually just sounded. I'm more like lines than voice quality. I think. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, all right. Okay, here's the next. Here's my next one. Okay. Perhaps he is wondering why you would shoot a man before throwing him from a plane. <laughs> um, I don't. You merely adopted the shadows, Batman. I was born into them. That was Bane what? from Batman. Okay, I was like, okay. the Wicked Witch of the West? <laughs> I don't know. All right, anyway, that's my terrible impressions. Um, uh, those were amazing. Maybe <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh, well, that's not why we're here. So let's... you're right. Let's get to the interview, shall we? That sounds great. Today's guest is Natalie Zena Walshots. Natalie is a writer and game designer whose work includes LARP scripts, heavy metal music journalism, oh. video game lore, and her writing for the interactive adventure The Aluminum Cat won an Indicate Award. Today we're going to talk about her novel Hinch, which was released in 2020 by William Morrow Publishing and was a Canada Reads finalist in 2021, where it was championed by the Mandalorian's Paul Soon-Hyung Lee. Uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. We're going to talk about that this episode. And she lives in Toronto with her partner and five cats, which is arguably too many cats. And that's from her own bio. Yeah. I don't think you can ever have too many cats or dogs. I'm really. allergic, so there's definitely a limit on cats I could be around. But Bummer let's, for you. Let's go ahead and jump into it. <laughs> let's welcome, welcome Natalie. Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so awesome to have you today. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Can you like tell our listeners about Hinch? Uh, sure thing. It is a uh, a book about the people who work for supervillains. Um, you know, I think that the idea of, of anti-hero stories or stories from the villain's perspective are one thing and are wonderful. Um, but I really wanted more stories to exist about the the people in the background who work for them, people who are filling out the the spreadsheets and, you know, taking taking those those early punches from the uh, from the superheroes and sort of the uh, the appetizer fights before the the big showdowns. I wanted to know what terrible circumstances led them 
to make these life choices that uh, that got them there. So the book is about that. But it also kind of seemed like the uh, like it wasn't always awful. I mean, yes, what happened to our main character, uh, the auditor, you know, she went through some rough stuff. But like at the beginning of the book, it just seems like she's like, oh, I just kind of fell into temping for villains. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't feel like there was a big thing that happened to her that made that happen, unless I forgot that. And I thought it was really mm-hmm. interesting that she just like into temping for villains it's it's like i mean a lot of us don't have tragic backstories right? right but we do kind of fall into temping for villains you know like it's not one big tragedy that like yeah. derails the course of our lives and and turns us into what we are it's a it's a million tiny ones you know it's a death yeah. by a thousand cuts and uh as somebody who um like i i finished my my master's degree in like 2007 so like immediately before um one of the greatest economic downturns in, in, you know, recent history. Um, and I spent a lot of time temping for villains and doing, uh, in the, in the real actual world and doing a lot of small, terrible jobs that weren't always that bad, right? Like some were awful and some were fine and some were actually kind of fun. And, uh, I watched so many of my genius, hilarious friends and colleagues going through exactly the same thing, you know, over and over and over again. Uh, so the the auditor's story, you know, and certainly there's a major turning point for her. Yeah. Um, but a lot of her 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 backstory is not a tragedy. It is a thousand tiny ones that kind of leads her into a place of, you know maybe not making the most virtuous decision that she could. Well, and that's why I think I really liked that approach because it felt very natural, right? It was just like, right. What happens next? Oh, well, I got a job with this other villain. And so that lasted first, you know, a couple of weeks. And so anyway, I liked that. Um, and you. actually, I was going to ask you about mm-hmm. what inspired you to write a book from the, the villain's <laughs> point of view. Well, it comes from um, a real place. Yeah. So do you want to talk any more about um, that backstory? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I uh, again, I spent like it was it was a, the story that i felt like a lot of my friends and i in a lot of a lot of the time was you know was living and i i gained a real appreciation for i don't think i if i if i wouldn't have gone through that experience i would have understood uh how supervillains get anybody to work for them in particular like i remember being a little kid and you know watching like you know batman the animated series and you know all these and the x-men and all these superhero shows and being obsessed with them and like not understanding at all why anybody would do this job like it's like oh it's just it's much it's very simple it's like bad guys um and now that uh or once i had sort of like grown up and and gone through that process and it's like okay i i can't make my rent, but I could take this six week contract for this oil company, <laughs> which yeah. is not, not working for a super villain. Right. You know, like, 
and that, you know, when it's, when it's the choice between like, okay, I will, I will get evicted or like, I can't eat if I, this is the job, the only job that is available to me. Um, those kind of like quibbly moral decisions or not quibbly at all, like significant moral decisions become very different when it's like a desperate situation and feeling that kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the opportunities I thought would be available to me or that I was promised in a lot of cases, just evaporating and, and finding, you know, myself and looking around and seeing all my like extremely brilliant idealistic friends in very, very similar situations. I'm like, Oh, I know. I understand why you put on a ridiculous outfit and go work for the penguin is because you owe child support. That's, that's <laughs> why you do that. Like, absolutely. Like you need to get your car out of impound. Like that's student it. Student loans got me hitching. Student loans, <laughs> student loans got me hitching, man. Absolutely. Like, and that's just the situation that like, I think a lot, if not most people alive right now can, can, sympathize with in a really major way uh yeah yeah i no, i'm thinking about all the like weird jobs i had out of grad school i've had so many like, weird jobs man <laughs> right out of grad school so many weird jobs like, I, worked, I, worked I worked for a company that made a literal earthquake machine and their archives i'm not naming and then i also are you serious a... that's amazing <laughs> like <laughs> i worked for a search engine company mm -hmm. uh and they had I had to flag search results from a country that had a lot of censorship and things. So yeah, I guess Whoa. like I did. Yeah, like that's not like, <laughs> that feels like, icky, right? It's like, ooh, I don't like I don't like that I'm doing this. Um yeah, I worked I worked for a uh, I did a lot of SEO. I I learned how to do SEO working for a porn company. And like you gotta get oh. your tags right, let me tell you. Like people <laughs> are looking for very specific things and I learned tag. totally like I learned so much about like the vocabulary extraordinary but i learned so much about how the internet worked from like doing that job and how social media worked from like doing that job and uh there are there are so many examples of just like oh yeah i worked for a hundred super weird things and i definitely was a personal assistant briefly for somebody who was definitely asking me to take make copies of super illegal things. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is yeah. definitely not legal what I am doing right now or what I am being asked to do. And I'm, but I would like to collect my paycheck. <laughs> so I'm going to become selectively blind and copy this piece of paper or whatever, you know, like that's, you just kind of like put your blinders on and do the, I am just filling out this spreadsheet. You know, I am just installing the software on this person's computer so they can check their email while they are super working at a weapons company or whatever it is, you know, whatever like terrible thing it is you're actually in the service of, right. You know, that, that, you know, I, I was, I did a lot of tags for, and I don't even think like porn is like capital evil or anything. It's just like, oh, this is a job that is for sure weird and is a place I did not think I was going to end up in and like I am also learning a lot and it's also shaping the person that I am and the executives I work for are sometimes really nice and sometimes absolutely super shady and you know it's the same thing with like every ad company I worked at or it's the same thing for like any of the any of the social media gigs that I did where it's like oh some of you are are wonderful and I'm learning a ton and some of you are like 
literally terrifying. I'm pretty sure you have a chest freezer full of torsos somewhere. Like the vibes are so abysmal. Uh, So, you know, you kind of like, you have enough of those experiences and you, you also feel very disposable in those situations. You know, I never felt like, oh, I am valued in any of these positions. It's like, I am a body who is here to fulfill a very specific function and do one specific job. And if I have a problem with it, someone else will fill out this spreadsheet, right? And that kind of like, awareness of my profound replaceability in a lot of those positions, like I think also, I think that also bleeds into the book and and for sure informed a lot of that, like, you know, oh, hench people are disposable, right? They're like human cannon fodder that you like throw at a hero. I thought the first uh, villain she works for is the electric eel. And I really got the vibes from him and stuff. And like, honestly, like your characters are so great and they're interesting and detailed. I love like Leviathan had a pet iguana. Uh, Yeah. And Sharon. Yeah. (laughs) So like, what made you add such colorful quirks to your evil characters? I know like it doesn't, it has a humanizing element, but yeah, like, like where was the inspiration for that? I mean, people are just so weird. Like I've like humans on the earth are so profoundly weird. Like every single one of us. And I, I don't think I've actually met anyone who didn't somewhere in there have Shannon, the iguana, (laughs) like somewhere in their life. Right. Like that there's just like, Oh, you have like a hyper fixation on this one specific thing. Or like, you know, like I, I, you, you meet somebody and you're like, Oh yeah, let's go over to their place for the first time to play D and D. And it's like, Oh, you, you breed salamanders. And I'm now walking through like this hallway, just like (laughs) lined with, with salamander tanks. And like, I did not think this was going to be my day but cool like I've just met so many people who you know have Shannon the iguana (laughs) so it it, I just felt like you know I'll certainly if ordinary people cap you know like in quotation marks around me are like profoundly weird and and super care about unusual things like definitely my super villains do like for sure and and I also just like flatly don't believe in that like the kind of caricature of the unfeeling supervillain. Like no one cares about things more than supervillains. And I think that we kind of do, I think we do a lot of characters like a great disservice of being like, oh, they're like not emotional and they're detached. And like, you know, they're like the, the this this sort of like solitary, like incredible, like, no, they're, they're really weird and have a lot of feelings and like definitely are going to like pour that into the various things that they do. So did, uh, were there any like quirks that, uh, you have of your own self that you put into some of these characters at all or? Oh, geez. Um, I mean, like I, I definitely, uh, as somebody who has the anxiety, I certainly like drew upon, um, various elements of, I think like my own, uh, neuroatypicality when writing the auditor, right? Like I, I definitely like channeled a bunch of that kind of like overanalyzing every possible angle of a situation and kind of turning that into like a problem solving task, you know, element, element there. Um, I don't know, probably I tend to, I tend to think of like myself as the most boring person in the world, just because I, 
I spend so much time with me, but it, it was less like, oh, I'm going to put this specific thing I super care about. Oh, horror movies. I will say that the I mean, the or, the auditor like does very much enjoy horror movies, and so do I. Uh, and uh, and it's also been like a it, it makes dating, or at least for me, briefly made dating quite difficult during the unusual periods that I've done that, where it's like, oh, let me like show you one of my favorite things. Oh, you hate this. Okay, right. Never mind. We'll just <laughs> nod and move on. <laughs> uh, so probably, probably that. And just, yeah, I would say, I would say that. And maybe her um, complete inability to like, deal with being around anyone that she's attracted to in a, in a, in a reasonable or, or sensible way or return that kind of attraction gracefully at all. All right. Yeah. Um, so the superheroes and the story kind of uh, symbolize the unchecked power. And then, you know, the auditor's approach is to kind of like do this call for accountability. Um, they even like harness the power of a hashtag and I couldn't help but think of like the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter. And so these big social media pushes to um, call people out. Right. And so did you use these kinds of social movements as the inspiration for that kind of thing? Or was it a, like because you don't want to cross the line into parody. Right. Because they right. are meaningful and important things. Mm -hmm. But I definitely was catching those vibes. So can you talk a little bit about how you did that? Sure. It was, it was, um, I wouldn't actually say that, uh, like it was necessarily inspired by, it definitely wasn't inspired by any one movement in particular. Um, the, the main bulk of the writing of, um, of Hench, uh, kind of like, wrapped in um in 2019 like relatively okay. early 2019 so just for like kind of timeline obviously there were like some edits after that but the like main bulk of the writing and narrative arc was done by then um well but it was you said more you like worked in search engine optimization so that was kind of yes. like your whole bag so you must have had okay i'll stop interrupting you no 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 it's totally it's totally <laughs> fine but yeah that and and also in in social media in general it was more like where are the places that i have found success in a way to reach people at a large scale and power so it's less like oh i want to try and harness the power of this like one particular social movement it's like oh i have seen what social media can do both like for positive and and for negative um you know i i i was definitely writing a lot when Gamergate was a thing, um, which was something that like I went through personally as somebody who was like working on a PhD in feminism and video games in 2014 and 2015. It was just like, ah, literally the thing I am doing. Oh, my life is super bad now. Um, so having been on the opposite side of that also, you know, I, it was, I sort of like had I had both sides of the experience, right? I saw how something could be weaponized as like the person on the other end of that point, but also how you could reach people and, you know, kind of like harness that ability. And what could I as one person do to like challenge somebody who from a traditional or objective point of view was so much stronger than I am like, what, what could I do? This was a thing that I could do. Um, so I really, I really wanted to, it came, it came less out of like, Oh, I'm going to try and, you know, parody this movement and much more out of like, well, what 
what would be the tools that somebody like Anna would have? You know, what mm -hmm. what are what is available to her uh, as somebody who doesn't have like flight or laser vision um, and who is just a person who has the same access to skills and tools that I do? You know, what would uh, what could I do in that situation? What could anybody do in that situation? Um, and as I think it is borne out repeatedly, like that absolutely is something that like I or we or a person can do, um, that it is possible to uh, kind of, that there is a lot of power to be taken there if you kind of hit on the right thing at the right moment. Um, and of course, a lot of that is like lightning in a bottle, right? Like you, you uh, things happen at specific moments, but it's very also very difficult to like curate and repeat them. Um, but like, so there's, there's definitely like kind of a, a balance of skill and luck there, but it is still something that like, oh, an, an ordinary person could do. I really like that. I'm like a, like, I'm kind of like an online person with like mm -hmm. internet history and just like social media stuff. So like, I was like, this feels, I feel well represented. Like, like <laughs> thank <so>. you. <laughs> um, I did have a question. Um, uh, so I think I saw something on your bio about like the tr like women in fridges, the, mm -hmm. which for people that don't know about like, and you have a very like, a, like there's a, I feel like I won't give it away, but there's a strong allusion to women in fridges in the book. There is, in fact, <laughs> okay, quite direct, yes. So mm. for people that don't know, um, there was a blogger I, like almost 20 years ago that kind of noticed like a sexist trope in comics about how women were treated in like the mainstream Marvel and DC universe and stuff. And like, yeah, and um. Your book is like obviously so there's really little, really like women in fridges. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. Captain a a Major Adam killed. It's based on what happened to one of the Green Lantern's girlfriends. Well, I won't go into the details, but if you look at women in fridges, there was a, there was a refrigerator. Yeah, it was Gail Simone, um, and uh, and yeah, it was that was something that inspired me a, a great deal. Uh, there are there are definitely like fairly direct, I would say allusions to it um to it in the text and uh it's not it's not just um like the 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 kind of trope is is not just like you know dead right like it's not just that uh but it's it's specifically that um women often end up either uh dead uh or depowered in some way um but it's never in service of their own story it's in the service of another character's story usually a man right so it's it's like oh it's it's not about what happened like the the very classic like woman in a refrigerator kind of you know crystallizing moment is like it's not about her it's not sad that this has happened to her it's that like it's sad it happened to the Green Lantern, right? So it's it's very specifically, you know, um, terrible things like, you know, whether it's, yeah, it, it's depowered or, or permanently um, wounded in some way or straight up dead. Um, but the tragedy is never that this thing or the, the kind of narrative tragedy, the, the nar narrative like load bearing point of that um, is never about them. It's about, well, how does that affect the men who are around them like how it's 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 the the kind of like and before i say this like i love john wick but it's it's the john wick dead wife right like it's it's not about like can you tell me a thing about her or why he likes her or like what their life together was like no ab absolutely not but like she's this 
kind of background shaping force as you know in in his life is like oh this was the thing that had saved him but now it's gone so all of these all of these things happen but it's not uh it's the it's the it's a very like it's a trope you see in a lot of media um it's just in in comics and particularly like at a specific moment in comics it was it was a very very common and uh and and, I, I, yeah i thought hench did a good job even just like ex- like kind of like paying tribute to that by just like talking about collateral damage in general like mm-hmm. we don't yeah. ever talk about the collateral damage of these like superheroes and stuff so but I can't. Yeah, and, and I mean, there like are a watching, lot of. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was no, just going to say, go. I, yours is going to be way more important than <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I, I. It's all about collateral damage, right? And the and I think that um, in general, superhero media uh, does a really great job of like showing the impact only for the moment of impact, and then mm-hmm. like moving away super quickly, like. Um, like I, I remember seeing a a uh, a trailer for an Avengers movie, and um, Captain America picked up a uh, a a pot hole like lid and like just winged it at a guy's head. And there's like, and then the camera pans. That man is dead, man. Like you, <laughs> like hang on, like time out. That dude is obliterated off the face of the earth right and and it's like this one second of impact and then that person essentially disappears but like they're they're dead right like someone has to tell who whoever their next of kin is a whole chain over like you see like batman like drop somebody down like an elevator shaft and then walk away like that person now has like a complex spine injury and like a long potentially impossible like road of recovery ahead of them and like batman doesn't murder is is also like such bs just let me get that out of the way like you can't tell me that that person did not die three years later of like a bed sore which by the way is still murder legally like if if someone dies of their injuries including some time later like there's not like a time limit on that right it's not like oh they they didn't die within the first 72 hours so like <laughs> i'm home so you're like yeah. you're yeah like it doesn't count it's like no it super counts the whole time um and that like i really wanted to have the camera stay in those moments right like i wanted to show what like what is actually happening there if you don't look away like if you don't just kind of play all that like all the explosions and like buildings falling down and people getting thrown through walls which for sure are like i love all those movies too right like i love all those stories this is my you know one of my favorite forms of media for sure um so it like this is coming from a place of love but like you are looking away before you really have to like deal with any of these consequences and i wanted to see what would happen if the whole story was consequences so i've never looked at those movies and been like oh that henchman was struck in the face with the thing sorry dude (laughs) you know like i've always been like oh man that whole building came down (laughs) that's gonna cost a lot of money wow are you thinking how everyone's like Oh, you don't, you're, you're unemployed. This like, yeah. <laughs> like the whole grocery <laughs> coffee shop, there's like 12 people out of a job. Like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, or, or just the like sadness of like, 
Oh man, that was my favorite coffee shop. And then a car got thrown through it. <laughs> like, like, oops, that was my car, you know? <laughs> right. Oops, that was my car. And also now like, you know, that mom and pop coffee shop can't afford to rebuild. So actually they close and then there's a Starbucks there in seven months. And like, that's a, that's a, its own kind of tiny loss, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's so there and there's so many of those right like huge like huge tragedies and intimate tragedies and like you know just tiny sadnesses that happen all the time when you have these like colossal forces colliding with each other and uh I also think that like I think it's actually very significant that you're like oh I've never really thought about what happened to that hench person who got a whatever thrown at their head um I think we're really conditioned not to Mm -hmm. like, I think we're actively like told not to think about the fate of these people, like both in media and also like in the world. And, um, the idea of like criminal activity is hugely dehumanized or dehumanizing and kind of the way it's portrayed. It's like, Oh, well, these people like stole something. So it's fine. We can like, or, you know, like they have a criminal record so we can do whatever. Like that's profoundly messed up (laughs) and like in in a deep way. And you know, the fact that it's just like, Oh, well they were like a bad, like I said, when I was like a little kid, it's like, Oh, they're a bad guy. So like, it's fine. It doesn't count. Yeah. It counts. Like their, their humanity does not get blinked out of existence because they went to work for the Riddler or whatever, you know, like it's such a, but you know, like there are, large systemic terrible reasons why we are taught to like kind of ignore the humanity of anyone who is sort of like placed in that category or criminalized in any way like we're supposed to look away and we're supposed to think like well it's fine that it happens to them because it's not going to happen to me because like I'm a good productive citizen who like works for an insurance company which is possibly actually worse and does more damage than like working for the Riddler if you actually like look at the you know surface area of human suffering and can we talk about you said the insurance agency it made me think of the spreadsheets and all that stuff yeah can you go into that and kind of tell the readers about how data and research and information plays into the book and also I read somewhere that you actually did a lot of research for the book Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So all the data in the book is real. So like Anna, Anna can be like looked at as a data data analyst. A lot of what she does is like is data analysis. Um, And uh, she sort of like, she knows in the sort of way that we all like, know that heroes probably do more damage than good in in the world like or at least maybe that maybe that's me maybe i'm the only person who feels that way but like the vibe was like there are sure a lot of buildings blowing up in a lot of these movies and a lot of innocent bystanders being murdered to capture that one guy who robbed a bank or whatever like maybe i don't know if the balance is correct here um and so she she starts counting she starts counting like the property damage and the injuries and the death tolls and you know that that heroes kind of cause during their their daily operations um 
and gets a sense of the like total in life years, what they cost the world. Now the, the math is real. It is, it is used, um, by like international organizations to calculate the human toll of natural disasters and other kind of like cute, large scale, whatever. Um, the, the, you know, data scientist who developed it and cited in the book is real. He very kindly gave me permission to, to cite him and his work. Um, and all the numbers that Anna uses and applies are, uh, real numbers that I found in comic books. So like I did a bunch of reading where like I would take a book specifically over like time periods. So like if there is an arc that it's like, okay, I know this takes place over 13 months. So I can tell like what this hero was up to at least for the scope of this narrative within this like 13 month period. Um, and then I counted all of the, all of the injuries, all the property damage, all the death, what kinds, any data that we had about like what kind of injuries. Um, I tried to go into, um, other kinds of economic disenfranchisement, but it's, you know, you don't often see a lot of that, but it's like, if it was noted that like, Oh, this person was unemployed now, like I could add that in also. Um, then I applied the, uh, the daily math, so that D-A-L-Y, um, disability um, adjusted life years to that data and came up with a like number of like, oh, okay, in human life years, this is what this 13 month period cost for this hero to be in operation and kind of compared that against like that good result. It's like, oh, well, this, I don't know, it's like laughing gas wasn't released into the water system of this city or whatever. And uh, let me tell you, the math did not come out well for the heroes <laughs> in question. Um, so I, I like it's the counting is real. The math is real. And then I, I use that data um, throughout the book to kind of like, cause I, I wanted it to not just feel real, but actually be real. Like, okay. If you like look at the operations of a hero and you run that math and you calculate it out, it's like, what would this cost the city of Chicago? Like, um, what would this cost New York? Right. Cause you know, metropolis roughly. I'm pulling up Excel when I watch Loki tonight. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. You will. Some things will be illuminated for you. I have these charts. I can show them to you. Uh, my spreadsheets are quite beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> so it's, cool. I really wanted it to be real. Like I really wanted there to be like backbone there. So I'm, I'm really fun at parties, by the way. It's like, ah, oh, let me show you this <laughs> incredible bar graph about like how Batman, like, you know, like what, what the, what the math is. And it's not good. As librarians, we appreciate. Yeah, it. honestly, like yeah. you're talking to the right people. So, oh yeah, I got to. I I I've revealed this a couple. I don't think this is like a new reveal, but uh, before she was the auditor, the auditor was the librarian. That oh. was like her first nickname, um, and she became the auditor because the auditor is scarier, right? Like you don't like the librarian is True. is somebody who like who will absolutely save your ass and you can approach and like is definitely like the keeper of arcane knowledge, right? But it's like there's a benevolence there that did not quite fit 
right? We're like, generally kind of nice people. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the, it's like, hi, I'm the librarian. Like, oh, I super want to talk to you. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> hello, I'm the auditor. I do not want to talk to you. Like I would like whatever I need to do to get you to go away and not look at my checking account. That would be really great. Um, but yeah, there's uh, librarians are very dear to my heart and uh, it's not, not an accident that. for sure. It's okay. Maybe maybe there is a villainous librarian out there somewhere. Totally. Oh, there absolutely you know? is. I feel I feel like I feel like most librarians are like three inches from turning into the auditor. You know, you know what I mean? Like they're like, don't push me. It's they're money for me. That's ready. what it would take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. It, well, it's more like I'm I'm going to be like I'm I'm librarians also do an incredible subjective or subversive work, man. Like that's absolutely crucial. It's like, oh, we're gonna save all of these banned books, right? Or like we're going to make sure that people have access to the internet where they're unhoused, right? Like just like legitimately like intensely subversive work that is only more crucial in the current universe in which we all presently find ourselves. Yeah. So, um, thanks. Um, but, uh, your book, one thing that we all noticed is that it's part of this kind of emerging genre of, I guess you would say superhero fiction, but it's more like villain fiction, right? Where we're taking a more critical look at the world of superheroes. So you've got like the boys, both the comic, which I never mm -hmm. read, but I did watch the show, um, Venture Brothers, the Harley Quinn series, and even like Despicable Me, right? Like it's cute, but like a mind, I would add mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So, you know, why do you, I feel like it's only recently been kind of this big thing. And so, why do you think, I mean, we know why you decided to write this story, but why do you think that there's this bigger trend happening? I think that, um, I mean, first of all, I just think like villains are really fascinating characters. Like in, in general, like villains tend to be often more interesting than the heroes. They tend to be like more full humans. Um, I feel like all superheroes, this is maybe a tiny bit of a tangent, but I promise it's related. Uh, I feel like all superhero stories are really just like uh, the fairy queen, <laughs> you know, like where every character is kind of a like, like a, just an archetype you know it's like oh i represent justice and i'm putting a human body and i'm walking around but we're really just like concepts talking to each other um and i think a lot of heroes um are like kind of confined by trying to represent the concept or the virtue that they are meant to embody right like batman being the spirit of vengeance right and you know like um the way that, you know, it's kind of like a, it's an idea distilled into human form um, that therefore makes them like not quite human. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously like heroes are written the best when they are at their most human. And I think that, you know, my favorite stories are always, you know, the, the ones that are kind of dig into that humanity and that like, especially that problematic humanity more. Um, so I think, but I do think part of it is just like villains are interesting and fun and they care about things and they're very passionate um, to often to an obsessive degree. And like, that's really interesting and that's really fun. Um, they're also not like hamstrung by uh, like 
by those virtues in the same way that heroes are, right? Like they can be really driven by the things that they want uh, and their narratives can be really propelled by, by the things that they want instead of the thing they're supposed to be doing. Like a lot of heroes kind of have their personal desires or narratives like hindered or subverted or it's like, like of course Batman just wants to like off the Joker. Like of course he does. <laughs> um, but he doesn't because he can't because that is like the archetype that he is and that he embodies and there's all this self-imposed like no I must not whereas villains are very much like no I must um and I think that that's that's just really interesting and there's a lot of like incredibly compelling um compelling like storytelling that can take place a lot about that um also straight up I think that like we are at a moment where we're questioning authority a lot and we're especially questioning like institutional authority. Um, and we're, you know, looking at people in uniforms who we're told are supposed to represent like truth and justice and are here to protect us and seeing that very much not match up with what is really happening in, in the world. And I think that we're, um, I think that that like, questioning what what's really going on here from uh you know in, a, in superhero stories is a direct result of us like questioning what's going on here in the in the kind of like institutions that surround us yeah and i was also while you were talking thinking about like i think because the, you know you like the superheroes when they're at their most complex right when they're, mm -hmm. they're struggling with their humanity and then we like villains because i think that I don't know. I, th I think what it does is it, it takes away this dichotomy between good and bad, right? Because yeah. everybody at their core is a little bit of both. Yeah, abs absolutely. And when you're when you're kind of confining somebody to, and I think this is this is in the book too. You're like saying, okay, you're a hero. Okay, you're a villain. You know that kind of. So everything you do has to be through that lens. Right. But if you actually take that away, like you will find that a lot of villains are often doing like lots of virtuous stuff like you know also super pointing orbital death lasers at things like i'm not saying they're not but there's a surprising amount of stuff that's like oh that actually makes sense in fact uh and if you kind of take away the the filter of hero like not there's a there's a lot of like really unpleasant often unconscionable behavior happening there also but we're just told it's being done by a hero so it's good so we're being mm -hmm. told by it's done by a villain so it's bad um and so i think that i think that that's part of it too yeah and like i think i know it's like sometimes like uh, villains are either humanized but sometimes they also just appear as like a force of nature sometimes and mm -hmm. then it's like they're not so much like i mean look at like kind of think of a good example like godzilla <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah, so much, like it's not like his person or yeah <laughs> and sometimes well, i think that's like if if it doesn't have like a human perspective like the joker has like he's like a tragic failed person that you know like or whoever depends on who's writing him in that time moment right yeah it's yeah. he's chaos magic in one way or the other right yeah. like it's like the the joker is i think a great example of a character who's not actually kind of a person anymore they're just like a concept and it's like like the concept of that like true chaotic like cannot be predicted um the joker is incidentally the the villain i would like least work for for sure because like he might just kill you because he thinks it's funny 
right? Like you can't actually like control or predict that situation, like in any way whatsoever. Like you just might find it funny one day. And that I think is like truly terrifying, um, but also kind of prevents him from ever being like a really, um, like really humanized, unless we're talking about like the film Joker, which is like, how could this be like, a human again like there's a that's a other specific like very specific project but like you know the kind of like classic um comic joker is very much that like yeah cosmic force at work on the world rather than person and that's interesting in its own way and i think that what i think with hench you did a really great job of humanizing villains because that's what i thought kind of like going in because like right like there's like the joker as the Rolero comic book where the guy guy's working with the joker and from his perspective and it's like is this gonna be a bunch of like narcissists that like people be victimized <laughs> and it wasn't like that at all so yeah. i just wanted to say sh- thanks for making the book very like human in that oh regards. hey Big. So I, I got to ask, um, you said the Joker, you would be definitely one you didn't want to work for. And I just am wondering um, who you like, what would be your choice of employer among the villains? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I think working, I think working for Dr. Doom would be really good. Um, I think there's like, uh, there's just like a lot of different work that can be done there, right? Like, are you a political person? Like, there's a lot of international relations stuff. You know, there's like all of Latveria to administrate, right? There's just like a lot of, there's lots of science involved. There's just like many, many opportunities. Um, I bet you get to travel like a lot. Uh, and like, you got to love those like European benefits and vacation time. Like I, ab- absolutely sign me up. Yeah. I, I bet he's a huge basketball fan. Oh, Cause, interesting. Cause like Lithuania is yeah, where all the great yeah, players yeah, are yeah, coming yeah. out of. And like oh, Kim Jong yeah. Un is a huge basketball fan. I was just thinking, I'm like, I bet Dr. Doom is like a huge, like, <laughs> I bet the Olympic. The, head, the, head cannon accepted. I like it. I like it. All right. Like, that should be a whole book, is what I have taken in season of the Olympics. No, like, I love it. I love it. I bet, oh my God. I bet the like. The like fantasy basketball, like super, super villain, like server, like the secret mailing list they're all on (laughs) is on fire. Like I bet it is fantastic. Like, can you imagine the trade negotiations? Oh yeah, totally. They all 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, just unbelievable. Yeah. I love it. Head cannon accepted. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take a short break uh, sure. bit on that note, because I feel like it's a good place to put a pin in. And um, and then we'll come back with Natalie Zena Walshots. Yeah, we'll be right back. Sounds great. The Wichita Public Library has entered the world of streaming with Canopy. Library cardholders can now access Canopy's massive collection of movies TV shows, and educational content from the great courses. There's content for children, adults, and foreign language options, too. Cardholders get seven free checkouts a month, and Canopy's constantly updating their library, so there's always something new to watch. To find out more, please visit wichitalibrary.org slash canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y, Canopy. 
just one of the many services provided to you from the Wichita Public Library. All right, and we're back with Natalie Zena Walshots, author of Hench. It's so awesome. Uh, yeah, um, I want to just talk about Dr. Doom more because I like I'm also <laughs> a huge like Doom fan as a person. I will uh, talk so... infinitely about Dr. Doom. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want I want to get like a is it Latvia? What's this country? I want to get Latveria. Latveria. Yeah, I, I... I want to <laughs> see this... if there's. Yeah, I had a, oh. I had. A... Uh, uh, I had a custom t-shirt made that said Latvarian ambassador <laughs> that I like wore to tatters uh, in case you had any illusions about me being a cool person. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Fix. No, I'm, so I'm going to get on like a custom Latveria basketball jersey. That's... Oh my God. That's an incredible idea. <laughs> Love Make it. Make sure he sends you one. Please. Um... <laughs> Uh, so I have a question. Uh, I saw that uh, can you were one of the finalists in Canada Reads, and uh, Paul, Sonia, and Lee was representing you. Can you explain what that was? Because if you don't know, he's one of the he's one of the the older X Wing pilot on the Mandalorian. That's like kind of watches out for Mando. So uh, can you like tell us about that and what happened? Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah. so Canada Reads is an annual TV show. Um, takes place. Uh, uh, in, you know, kind of at the beginning of the year and, um, Canadian like actors and singers and like otherwise like important cultural people, um, are all kind of like, uh, get to nominate a book that they're like, okay, this, you know, they, they match with a bunch, but they get to nominate a book. That's like, okay, I think I love this book. I think this is great. And then it's sort of a, like, it's like Canada's, um, like book club kind of thing. So the idea is that, you know, if you want to participate, everybody reads all of the books and you like watch along and, you know, hopefully your favorite, it's, it's very, very cool and, and sweet and hopefully your favorite book wins. And, uh, Paul Sun Hyung Lee um, chose Hench, and uh, like complete surprise and joy to me. And uh, it turns out he is an absolute delight of a human person. Uh, I loved getting to meet him and talk to him, and um, he got the book so profoundly like he connected with it super deeply he super understood what i was trying to do and i think he uh defended hench absolutely like wonderfully uh for the time that i was on the show we made it to about the halfway point which i am thrilled about like honestly it was just like i'm i'm made it to the show <laughs> incredible uh so yeah it was it was a uh, all all my co-authors also like everybody featured was just like lovely too and uh it was it was a wonderful experience and it was like I think it put Hench in front of a bunch of people who might not have realized it. Like, I, I feel like when the book first came out, like, um, a lot of like people aroundish my age were like, this is amazing. And then like Canada reads happen. And then suddenly all their moms were like, Hey, I really <laughs> like this book actually, you know, like there was, it kind of just like reached an audience and a, a kind of like more general audience. And I think it, at least in Canada that it would have, otherwise and i was really pleased by how positive that reception was um also from folks who who might not have 
seen it otherwise or read it otherwise. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was such a wonderful experience. That's awesome. That's that, so, cool. so it's like an elimination reality show, but it's, yeah. it's literary based. That's stairs yeah. of American. Mom Island is a show. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it must be really nice to have universal health care. <laughs> Shows that promote literacy on television. <laughs> Listen, it it is. Uh, so a question, a question I've been asked a lot is, um, you know, uh, hey, like we noticed that the auditor doesn't super talk about like the cost of healthcare, uh, and like you know that doesn't really come up in the book. Uh, is that because you're Canadian? And I'm like, yes. Also, that if it was about that, it would be the only thing the book was about, <laughs> uh, which is is a joke and also not at all. Like it, it it is just for sure. Like, well, that's the book then. Like if we're gonna if we're gonna do that, then it's it's entirely about you know the that kind of physical cost and that kind of medical cost and. Um, there was just like more I wanted to put in, in there. But honestly, I, I, whew, I don't know how you guys manage that down there, man. It is uh, terrifying. About the fact that uh, she doesn't talk about the cost. Like, yeah. you know, it just, anyway. Uh, Ian, one of the producers of the show wanted to ask us a question that we were, sure. that's what we're covering. It's like, do, do henchmen deserve universal health care? Everybody <laughs> deserves universal, every human <laughs> deserves universal health care. Um, like, you know, we, we, I'm I, like Canada for sure has like its own problems. And I'm, I'm definitely not saying that, you know, we have figured it all out because we definitely have not, but, uh, I don't really understand how a society functions without it full stop. So yes, head hedge people absolutely do deserve high quality, universally accessible healthcare, which by the way, includes dental and glasses and physiotherapy. Like when I'm saying medical, I don't just mean like, oh, a ride in an ambulance. I mean like healthcare <laughs> and so does everyone in prison and so does everyone living below the poverty line. And so does every single category of person. So, uh, yeah, that's not, that is a, that is a very easy guess. Yes, they do <laughs> answer for me. Well, let's talk about the way that you do write about Anna's entries because um, they do get a little specific in some areas, especially when you're talking about putting pins in legs and things like that. Spoiler alert, Anna has some really bad injuries. Don't Google um, them. Don't, don't Google. What's a spiral <laughs> fracture? Don't, yeah. I Googled it so you don't have to. <laughs> but we wanted to know like what kind of research you did to be able to write that kind of a, a scene and those injuries for Anna like did you do you have any sort of background in medical because honestly we weren't sure it was very well written so well thank um, you yes tell us about your research for the medical school. I was also wondering if you had suffered some of these injuries oh yeah. yeah uh I I have thankfully not I have not actually broken a bone I all of all of my damage has been soft tissue happily slash unhappily um but uh 
I have always been like two things. One, I've always been incredibly fascinated by like medical science in general. Like I was, I, that was like one of my like weird little kid interests. Like I would like read anatomy books for fun as a small child. Um, Cause that's definitely- cool. <laughs> yeah, an average, average oh, kid hobbies. Uh, yeah, little, weird little kid hobbies, and it's is a fascination that like never left me. Um, I'm also a huge fan of mixed martial arts, um, and that gets you really like you you gain a lot of like ambient trauma knowledge. So it's like a thing that happens after every fight, usually a couple days later, once everybody's been to the hospital, is the injury report. This may be a familiar phrase to those of you who've read the book. Um, and that is like, okay, this is what actually happened to the fighters. It's like, okay, this person has a fractured orbital. Um, this person tore their ACL. And it's like, this is what is wrong. This is how long it's going to take to heal. They have a medical suspension for this long, no contact until this date so you get this very detailed breakdown about the actual like trauma that was sustained so you get to like watch if you if you're me you watch a fight and then a couple of days later you like study the injury report to see like okay what you know what really happened there and fighters will often post on their like social media like photos of their healing journey and stuff like that too so that's also been like an endless source of like really fascinating information um, for me. Um, for Anna's injury in particular, I wanted to pick something that was survivable, right? Um, that was something you could technically fully heal from, right? Where like there would be a point at which you were considered like, you know, he healed full stop, whatever that means, um, that would also have lifetime repercussions, right? Where it's like, this is something that is going to impact her for the rest of her life on a daily basis. Um, and in, in some ways, like change how she navigates the world. And in, you know, in her case, it's in a lot of ways, she needs a mobility aid afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I just, I find medical stuff really fascinating i find medical science fascinating the like leaps we have made just in the last hundred years are like astonishing in terms of just like what you can live through you know like pre versus post anesthetic like there anyway i just i, I find it an endlessly interesting topic um, so was there a short list of injuries that super collider was going to inflict on anna like <laughs> uh that's a great question <laughs> like well i mean like yes and no um it was always going to be a specific type of injury right it's like well it's probably uh you know i it's probably going to be a significant structural break. I don't want it to involve severe nerve damage. So that like rules out a bunch of things. Um, I don't want it to be totally superficial. So that rules out a bunch of things. Um, it needs to have like a healing period that's long enough that it's effectively going to take her out of her current work pool. So she's going to have to like, mm -hmm. you know, reapply. So it's not like, you know, if you break, if you break your foot, you're like, they're like, I don't know, you can like wear a boot or not. I don't care. And then like four weeks later, you're fine. A, a non-complex, like, you know what I mean? Like a, you know, regular, like, Oh, I broke my foot 
not a big deal. Um, so there was like, the, the list got pretty short once it was like, it has to fit in these parameters, right? So, um, you know, it needs to be some, it also, it's like guaranteed trip to the hospital that's all going to require at least overnight. Like they're not just going to send her home immediately. You know, there's like, there was a bunch of stuff. Um, and yeah, when, when all was said and done, like a, a complex, uh, complex thigh fracture, spiral fracture was like fit all the, like ticked all the right boxes, um, required like the correct amount of intervention would have the right amount of impact on her life moving forward. Um, that would also be something she could in some form walk away from. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of thought behind that. You know, you're mm. just like, oh, she just broke her leg. Straight <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just enjoying this uh, story. Yeah. And then it's like, oh wow, that was that's a lot of work. Um, okay, but you also take her um because that whole moment where after her surgeries and she has to camp out on her friend's couch and she's like delving into madness that she then channels into the injury report. Um you do a pretty good job of talking about the psychological trauma of that accompanies those physical injuries. And so, um, how did you research all of that? I have, um, another, like another great question. Um, I've, I've never experienced this specific type of medical trauma, but I've certainly experienced like other forms of trauma and gone through that, like, very similar kinds of healing processes on my friends' couches at, you know, mm -hmm. other points in my life. So certainly like there's that personal experience. Um, I have provided, um, I've been like primary caretaker for loved ones who have been going through like significant healing processes or recovering from significant injuries. Um, I've also like I assisted, uh, with a couple of my friends, like parents after s similar situations where like, I have a pretty high, like a medical thing has to be done. Somebody has to do it. Tolerance. Like, mm -hmm. again, just kind of like ambiently from the things I'm interested in, this is something that's happened. So, um, if somebody's like, someone needs to do this, like someone needs to like pull this thing out or somebody needs to ride with somebody when they go to the hospital and this is kind of gross, it's probably going to be me. Um, so there's like, I've just, I have done that a bunch. Uh, so this is certainly drawing on from like that personal experience as well as like a whole bunch of research, talking to some of those people directly, you know, them being very generous with their time and answering my questions or, um, or just like reading a lot of, um, like a lot of recovery, like first person recovery narratives was also really important to that, to that part of the process. Um, I also, uh, like th this seems peripherally related, but like, it's actually very useful. I have, um, I am a migraine sufferer. They're relatively like they're pretty under control right now, but they're like relatively frequent in my case. And when I was living in Calgary where the barometric pressure was crazy, uh, it was an extremely painful and difficult four years <laughs> for me. Uh, so I think just having the kind of like lived experience of a chronic pain condition is like also, and I, I'm not saying you can't write about these things if this is not the highly specialized 
first person knowledge that you have, but it definitely helped. Like it definitely like was an important, like intimate knowledge that I could, could draw on for, for those kinds of experiences. Okay. Well, it's, it came across because, you know, you just don't, it came across very real. So yeah. And it's like a detailed book in ways that I don't think that like people appreciate things. Like if you read like a run of the mill, like detective novel, like a James Patterson or something, it's like, you don't think about the injuries or whatever, like recovering, like when like, a hero, like the main character gets beat up and stuff. And it's like, I liked that about the book. And, and it was like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is like, wow. Like it's relatable. Like it's yeah. relatable. Like, Oh, it's like one thing to be like when I had like surgery, I had my first surgery. It was like a gum graft. And it's like, you don't, you all think um, about surgery. You don't think about the aftercare. Right. Of the surgery. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah, how but... like a pain in the butt of the aftercare of a surgery is. And it's it, like... is it is massive. I'm so uh, my, my, my partner had the sinus lift. And so like, it's no joke, right? And a lot of a lot of procedures where they're like, oh, this is like incredibly minor, like you'll be fine. No, you won't. <laughs> like my mom had saying this is wrong. Like uh, I had all this is, you know, doesn't sound like a major thing, but I had all four of my wisdom teeth out at once um, in wow. kind of an emergency procedure. Um, when I was, yeah, when I was in my in undergrad and uh, and like I could not eat for a month. Like I could not like chew solid food for four weeks. Like it was a nightmare. Like my recovery and I heal fast. Like I heal like Wolverine. Like I am, I like my, my partner jokes cause he heals like a very old man with scurvy and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm good. Like, just like you practically like see the, the cut healing itself. Um, but it was, it was like a terrible long <laughs> experience. Uh, it was so bad. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we spent, and like maybe, maybe this is just me and my weird brain, but like, I don't think we spend enough time, like really, <laughs> digging into the humanity of our bodies, right? And like what is required to have a body and the amount of maintenance these things require and like just how long recovery times actually are and can be and how deeply personal that is and how like, you know, like it can be like, like it, that's such a personal and intimate experience, like being inside of a healing body and, you know, the like recovery times are so all over the place. Um, and I don't, I don't think we give enough, uh, sort of like fictional space for that. Like, I think it's actually like really interesting. And I think a lot of people, especially in hero stories, like skip over that. Cause it's like, Oh, we need to get to like the good stuff as quickly as possible. So we need to show like how the hero just like stapled gun themselves back together and put some gauze over it. And they're like, fine. Two days later, it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you absolutely are not. And like, but digging into the like realness of how, of what not means and what, healing is actually like i find uh, i find that part actually really really interesting i feel like it's something that you see in a certain kind of novel like jack london or something where it's like a survival yes. something yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like survival I really, yeah i will i give you that for sure yeah and i don't like but but um 
Yeah, but the thing you were kind of talking about with Wolverine, I, I, this goes <laughs> into our next question. Uh, so we kind of talked about how, like, you said earlier, like, technology these days is kind of, like, people's healing from, or can heal from anything. Like, on a lesser note, though, but, like, we're seeing it. We're living in the age of cybernetics at this point. And Anna has cybernetic enhancements. And in today's world, we have VR goggles. We have wearable technology and smart speakers. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, like, high-tech gadgets that you you find particularly helpful with your writing or just oh, daily life? Because wow. you you're a tech person, too, right? Like Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, so like I, I, uh, I spent, I've, I've done some work in game development and, uh, my favorite work that I've done is, is in VR for sure. Um, and like other interactive experiences. So like, um, I really love, I really love, uh, role-playing games, like writing for them and like kind of multiple, uh, multiple choice or branching narratives. And I really like technology that like, furthers that or fosters that in some way so like all all of that is is super fascinating to me like i love the um the kind of constraint that is possible within uh or there's both the constraint and the opportunity of writing in vr or like again like any kind of like interactive medium where like i am doing a thing and the story is changing over there um, I wrote a, an interactive experience called the Aluminum Cat, where uh, it was like a, a scheduled interactive storytelling experience where the like narrator um, would respond to the real time audience's prompts as to what was to happen next in the story. So like the audience would vote and then she would put on a different costume and like go down that branch of the story right it was it was like very very interesting so anything that kind of i guess serves those kind of liminal mediums i think is really really cool um kind of like choosing your own adventure 2.0 right yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah so things that like work in that way i find uh i find super super fascinating um I do build my own keyboards, which is an incredibly dorky habit that I very much enjoy. That's probably the most like when it comes to like things that help me with my writing, um, like having an, an interface that feels good to work with. Right. Cause it's like, it's eyes and hands, right. It's all I got. So, uh, things that can make that experience easier and more pleasurable and more invisible, and you right. thought you're making mechanical keyboards, right? So what, like, yes. that mean? yeah. Can you oh, that? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So but the mechanical part is the actual, um, like the mechanism of the, uh, of the like switch inside the key. So when you push a key, what happens? Like mm-hmm. what is, is it just, you know, if, you know, if you're typing on a, on a non-mechanical keyboard, um, there's, you don't get that kind of like physical feedback of like, I am pressing a thing. I'm getting the tactile feedback of the, you know, the, um, the key pressing down. Um, let me see if I can. So here, this is one. So this is my keyboard right there. And I just took this key off so I can show you. So under every key, Mm -hmm. it's a switch right here. Mm -hmm this little guy and there's a it feels very different to type on it's an actual like mechanical process with a spring in it so you're like pushing the spring down and then once you have exerted enough pressure on it it like it bottoms out 
sends the, okay, yes, there was a key press and then it pops back up. And it's a, it's, I find a much more pleasurable typing experience than like, you know, a standard, like what's on your laptop. Not Do you think it changes your writing style at all? And because faster. you have a, it faster. Yeah. So the, the, the kind of like flow from brain out is a bit quicker. Uh, so there's less self-editing in that process, but it's mostly like faster, feels better, feels more invisible. Um, if, if it can't feel, it's like pleasurable at best, invisible at worst is kind of what I'm going for there. So it's, you know, like it's coming out as quickly and smoothly as I can make it happen. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I gotta try that. I have one. I haven't really written a lot, but I'm gonna like, I might bring it to work and all my coworkers. Give my yeah, they- <laughs> still can't quite like understand how it's different, but maybe yeah. So Do you know, like the typewriter, the manual typewriter yeah. we use. You know how it, like they're heavier keys yeah. and it makes noise. It's kind of like that, but the keyboard. Yeah, they're clickier. Yeah. But you say you, just- you can type faster. I find that the more I have to lift my finger, the more I have to lift my finger. Like when the, when they have the the high keys. Man. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I like I I typed most of of hench on like <laughs> like a goblin on my like old laptop, <laughs> like hunched on the edge of my couch for sure. Um, and it, when I switched over to like something else, it definitely was a a learning like there was a learning curve, right? Like yeah. I wasn't immediately faster. But all I can say is that the tactile feedback, like once your brain learns it is really nice. And it is a spring. So it's, you're getting feedback. Like it's not like, I got a lot of typewriters, like there's like the labor of pushing the key down, right? That And that feels good for different people for different reasons. Um, on a lot of keyboards, you're kind of like, it's also pushing back, if that makes any sense, right? Like there is a spring inside of it. So it's it's not like, like hitting a typewriter is almost like piano keys, you know, and then the mm-hmm. it's the key is going up, making, not the key, but like the, the piece of type is sort of like flinging up and making the mark on the page in the same way a piano's like hammer is striking mm-hmm. the the chords right so you're driving that piece of type and so you have to like almost like a little trebuchet (laughs) right like you have to push hard enough to like hit that uh mechanism so it will like impress onto the paper with the we actually have some of the like they're not mechanical but we have some of the older bigger key dell keyboards here oh if yeah you want to try out those compared to like the flatter key ones like yeah, yeah. i like the older ones better. Keys. the the That's i the ibm if you can get a get a like model m an old ibm model m with the buckling keys that's those are the good ones those are if you if you have any <laughs> of those lying one, around i think we have one dynex system that's gathering dust Ooh. in one of the like that probably you has should, you should see uh i mean there you should see if somebody you should auction it off see if uh, some mechanical keyboard enthusiast is looking for exactly that um so you said you write for vr right so you've written like for but have you written it in vr too like using like i know when you put on like you could do oh, virtual geez, desktop no 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 i've, I've been done curious anything. about that like putting on the goggles and accessing your personal computer through vr Whoa. i don't that's like a thing you could do but i haven't tried it yet i have oh, not tried that no no, no. <laughs> I, have, I have definitely not tried that i uh I enjoy being in VR. Like I don't get the, uh, I don't get nauseous, which is 
great for me uh, because some people like super do, but um, it it is like, I, I find it physically demanding right? Because it's very, your kind of like whole proprioceptive system is thrown off. So like the way you move through space changes. And so like, yeah, I find it very tiring physically, like much more so than moving through like non VR space. Cause my body is doing all of these like micro adaptions to all of the, it's almost like gravity is slightly different. You know, it's like, Oh, when I move, usually it it takes this much force to move my hand this far. But in VR, it might be like way more or may, way less. So your brain is doing all of these like calculations to account for the differences in the way that you're moving through space, all of which is unconscious, of course, but it's really exhausting over time. Like it's very, very like mentally and physically taxing. I don't think I've ever, I know, I know I have not actually ever done, experienced the VR. It's like, yeah. them here at the library and I've still never like, you, oh, it's, it's fun. You should try it. Yeah. It's surprisingly, the there's they book have, clubs. They have they're VR good. Clubs. They're really good. Yeah. Yeah. The box, the boxing worker, it's a great, um, Beat Saber is amazing. So any, anything that's like, like if you're a rhythm game at, person at all like it's super fun probably still the best vr game ever created um if you're a horror fan horror in vr is terrifying because there is no way to convince your body that that is not actually (laughs) happening like it, it is just your lizard brain is like no i am in a room with a serial killer like that is what is happening i am here and cool. you get to, yeah so if that's like a fun experience for you uh yeah i i recommend i can't actually do it very much or for very long because it's like legit terrifying um but it is really fun i'm gonna i'm gonna steer clear of that one but <laughs> recommendation reasonable uh, we'll, we'll put them in the show notes Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Natalie, this has been a really fun talk to you today. Um, what's next for you? Or I, I feel like you set, did, you set Hinch up for a sequel mm-hmm. very yes. clearly. And yes. I feel like I did read that one is coming out soon. That is correct. Yeah. So the sequel is, uh, like underway. It is due to come out fall 2024. Okay. So I am, I am. I am actually about to get a, a round of edits, so I am very much looking forward to that and digging in. And uh, yeah, but I've been I've been working on the working on the sequel sequel for a couple of years now, almost since like right after the first one came out. So uh, so I will be doing that. Um, I have a couple of like other things in the works that are still currently under NDA, but uh, but the next big. Um, next big project is uh is getting the sequel out into the world awesome that's awesome you say you're also working on a phd oh no i dropped out of the phd in 2015 (laughs) no no i am a failed wow okay no no no, goodness no you you tried it's amazing yeah i I did i did indeed get into the i you know i hit it's actually like this is this is very much like a hedge question but like i really hit this wall where i was like 
I don't want to be analyzing the, do I want to be analyzing the texts or do I want to be making them, right? Like, do I want to be the person writing about the games or do I want to make the games? Do I want to be the person who's analyzing the literature or do I want to be making the literature, right? Like that's, uh, and I straight up decided I wanted to be making the stuff. Um, so I left the, like, left the academy to do, and it was something I, I had always been trying to do both of. And, uh, I made the decision to make the stuff instead. And I am very happy that I did. Oh, well, we like the yeah. stuff that you've made so it's far. So, yeah. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Is there any place uh, people can find you online, any socials that you're, you prefer or anything like that? Like yeah, uh, I am, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all those X, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was about to say Twitter. <laughs> no longer exists. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Natalie Zed, all one word, most most places. So N A T A L I E Z E D um, Z E D. I guess if you're American, and uh, that includes Blue Sky. I'm probably on Blue Sky the most right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm less present on social media than I was, unfortunately. Because you know for reasons um but uh but yeah i'm if you see natalie's at it's probably me cool cool awesome can't wait to read the next book yeah thank I'm you already looking forward to it um like thank it. you so much for joining us and sharing the background and your research and all of that interesting stuff with the book um thanks Cool. Thank, Thank you so, you so much, much for yeah. having me. Yeah, it's cool talking to you. And uh, yeah, the keyboard looked cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this was a great episode. Thank you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Good. Thank but, you so um, much. Did you know that the Wichita Public Library offers a large selection of digital magazines for free? They are easy to access and are now available to you on the Libby app. You can download Libby from your phone or tablet's app store. Sign in with your Wichita Public Library card and start browsing immediately. Magazines can be found under the Guide section on Libby and include popular magazine titles about news and politics, cooking, celebrity news, healthy living, and more. For additional information on Libby, please visit wichita.overdrive.com. Here are some reading recommendations for Category 5, a book told from the villain's point of view, and other categories from our community of readers in the Read ICT Facebook group. If you'd like to leave your own book review to be featured on a future episode of the podcast, call our book review hotline at 316-261-8507. Leaving a review is easy. After the voice prompt, record your name, location if you're outside Wichita, what Read ICT category your book recommendation is for, title and author of the book, and a brief reason why you recommend it to other readers. If you're looking to connect with other like-minded readers online, be sure to join our Facebook group. Just search for the group hashtag ReadICTChallenge and click join. You can also find more reading recommendations for this and other categories by visiting wichitalibrary.org slash readict. The Christie Affair by Nina de Cremont. The author takes the mistress, Nan, of Agatha Christie's first husband and makes her into the victim. I liked it overall. I found it a bit disconcerting just because you go back and forth between liking Nan and disliking Nan, but I guess that's the point. Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney I struggled with this in the beginning and nearly gave up on it. I'm so glad I didn't because I ended up loving it. A great thriller novel with some amazing twists. Yellowface by R.F. Kuang 
It's such a cutting attack on so much about the publishing industry, I'm kind of surprised it was ever released. The Custom of the Country by Edith Wharton Undine Sprague, the extraordinarily beautiful main character, unbelievably selfish, sails through old New York society of the late 1800s, destroying lives along the way in pursuit of status and wealth. She is horrible and a totally fascinating character. Brianna Copenhaver in the Wichita area, uh, Mystery, and it is And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. This book is very interesting and keeps you on the edge of your seat. The ending is very surprising. There's a wonderful twist, and overall it is well-written and keeps the reader engaged throughout the story. Hey, this is Cindy. I'm leaving a book review to fulfill a space on my Beanstack bingo card. The title of the book I read is Not a Happy Family by Sherry Lapina. And this is a mystery or thriller book. And my review would be Which Family Member Killed Fred and Sheila Merton? This was a quick read, a page turner for me. Um, You could easily compare this book to the movie Knives Out or Clue or even a whodunit mystery. Thank you. This is Kim in Wichita, and I read Atlas Six by Olivia Blake. It would be perfect for the book about a secret society. If you like character-driven stories that don't really rely too much on what's going on around them, but more how the characters are developing inside the society, this one is for you. That was a great episode, but I gotta say, I feel a little bit like unsure of a lot of the villains like I don't I don't know a lot of villains I don't even know who Dr. Doom is what show was he from that's a that's Reed Richards arch nemesis from the Fantastic Four he's like uh, he's actually like a monarch of a country that's cut off from the world so he's just kind of like uh, Kim Jong-un if he had a suit of armor on constantly so yeah can we say that I think so. I don't know if they, I don't think they get read the turn of Korea. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair but enough. It was a great time, and yeah, I can't wait to read the next book. So awesome. Anyway, <laughs> a list of the books discussed in today's episode can be found in the accompanying show notes. To request any of the books heard about in today's episode, visit wichitalibrary.org or call us at 316-261-8500. Thank you so much to Natalie Zeno Walshots for joining us for today's recording. Um, we would also like to thank all of those out there who shared recommendations with us that we can then recommend to you. This has been a production of the Wichita Public Library, and a big thanks goes out to our production crew and podcast team. To participate in the Read ICT Reading Challenge, visit wichitalibrary.org slash readict. Stay connected with other Read ICT participants on the Read ICT Challenge Facebook page. Find out what's trending near you, post book reviews, look for local and virtual events, and share book humor with like-minded folks. To join the group, search hashtag Read ICT Challenge on Facebook and click join. And don't forget to log your books in the reading tracker at Beanstack. Each month you log in a book in the challenge, you're eligible to win fun prizes. If you need any assistance setting up or logging books, give us a call. Reach us on chat or stop by your nearest branch. You can follow this podcast through the Spotify app or stream episodes on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. If you'd like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and share with all 
all your friends. Bye. Bye. Thank you.